Hi, this is Steve Nerlick from Cheap Astronomy. Why, 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 why Cheap Astronomy? Yeah, why? And this is Dear Cheap Astronomy, episode 68, Speculation. So, here's an episode about what might be possible. What might be possible is a question that could be applied to an enormous range of different situations and scenarios. But why don't we start small with this one? Dear Cheap Astronomy, are there really parallel universes? So, could there be a parallel universe with a podcast called Expensive Astronomy, whose goatee-bearing host had to shut down the Expensive Astronomy Patreon page because it had become a major drain on the world's economy. Well, sure, anything's possible, right? But actually, no, anything isn't possible. Some things are, and some things aren't. The idea that you have a goatee-bearing doppelganger in an alternate universe not only lacks imagination, but is physically implausible on a number of fronts. To have such a level of congruence requires that there is either a recent historical point from which the timelines of two alternate universes bifurcated, or otherwise there's some kind of link that maintains an ongoing congruence between the two universes. You have to consider that if both you and your evil twin exist in both universes, then somehow your disassociated parents got together in both universes, and their respective parents got together, and so on. Given our universe is billions of light years in expanse, and that we are constantly scanning it for any signals that are out of the ordinary, it just doesn't seem plausible that a whole alternate universe could be anywhere nearby, and hence it doesn't seem plausible that there's any kind of information exchange between here and there. At least within our universe, information can only move as fast as the speed of light, so any information is going to take an awful long time just to get to the edge of our universe, let alone beyond. You could entertain the notion that a parallel universe might exist within hidden dimensions that somehow run in parallel with the dimensions of our universe. But again, if such a proximal universe is so dimensionally disconnected from us to be both invisible and undetectable, then again, any information transfer between the two seems implausible. So while a closely aligned parallel universe is easy to imagine, that does not make it any more physically plausible. It mostly just indicates a lack of imagination. If you do want to seriously contemplate what an alternate universe might be like, then first consider whether it will even have hydrogen, let alone more complex fusion products like carbon and oxygen. As we previously discussed on Cheap Astronomy, the key thing that may define our universe from any other potential universe is the fine structure constant, which quantifies the gap between the spectral lines of hydrogen. Remember, a hydrogen ion is just one proton, and a hydrogen atom is one proton plus one electron. The emission lines of hydrogen are a fundamental representation of how fundamental matter, protons, and fundamental energy, light, 
interact. Being a constant, there is only one setting for alpha across our entire universe. And perhaps one day we'll figure out that it's the only setting possible in any universe. But in the meantime, we can entertain the notion that different universes might have different settings for alpha, because in those universes, matter will be based on something other than hydrogen, and light, which is the way that information and energy are communicated across a vacuum, might still be light, but have a totally different maximum speed, and it might interact with an alternate universe's matter in a totally different way to how it does here. So, leaving science fiction to one side, if there are alternate universes, they will be utterly disconnected from our universe, both by time and by space, and there won't be any magic gateways that allow people to pass between them. And if there were such gateways, and you pass between one, you'd just die, because there wouldn't be any hydrogen there, so there wouldn't be any oxygen there, and who knows how space-time is shaped in that universe to accommodate your physical form. So as well as dying, your lifeless body might become spaghettified, or compactified, or a bit of both. So the idea that there's an alternate universe, where you did actually go to the high school prom with that person that you didn't actually go to the high school prom with, is just not plausible. It didn't happen, and it'll never happen anywhere else in the multiverse, and you'll never build a time machine that can get you back there either. It was a moment that came, and then went, and now it's done, and it's gone. Just suck it up, and move on. This is the middle bit. So moving on from all that slightly uncomfortable, unrequited pubescent longing, let's talk about fusion energy. Because of course that's just around the corner, as we've been hearing for several decades now. Dear Cheap Astronomy, how close is fusion energy? Well, a lot of people are saying 2050, but with that sort of timeline, you might just as well say no time soon. Fusion clearly is achievable. After all, the sun and the other stars do it all the time. But of course, stars do it through their own gravity, forcing nuclei so close together they have little option but to fuse. That process can't be readily reproduced on Earth, since we don't especially want our planet collapsed down to the densities required for stellar fusion to take place. So, we look to other methods to force nuclei together, the current favoured approaches involving magnets or lasers. To create fusion, you have to bring two nuclei into close proximity with each other. The first hurdle is that most room temperature nuclei form atoms, where the positively charged nuclei are surrounded by negatively charged electrons. To get around that, you can heat those atoms up into a plasma state, where the electrons and the nuclei are no longer associated, they just bounce around independently within the broiling plasma. The next hurdle is that the positively charged nuclei still repel each other. So all that bouncing around isn't about particles coming into contact with each other, they're just coming close until their like charges repel. To get particles to contact and fuse, you need to confine the plasma into a smaller volume, 
so as to bring the particles close, and you need to keep it very hot so the particles move fast and collide hard. But if you try to reduce the volume within a box, particles will also be colliding with the sides of the box, which heats up the box and also cools down the particles, since the transfer of their kinetic energy is what is heating up the box. And once the particles in the box start cooling and slowing, the probability of fusion diminishes, so you have to add more energy to try and get things back into a fusion-friendly state. This is the balancing act of fusion generators. We've built literally hundreds of them over many decades now, and for the most part they have generated fusion. What we are yet to achieve is a point where you can get more energy out of the fusion reactions than you put in to make those reactions happen. What we'd really like to achieve is a sustained chain reaction. After all, while fusion does require energy, it also creates energy. So surely if you can just get it started, its own energy production should then be able to drive more and more fusion. The challenges with making that happen are keeping the fuel contained so that the density stays high, keeping it hot so that fusion probability stays high, and all the while adding more fuel to keep it all going. We are getting around the problem of energy loss through heat conduction using tokamaks, which are large helical chambers with electromagnets arranged to direct plasma flow around in circles. So the particles are more likely to collide with each other than with the walls of the confinement space. For that same reason, you get more fusion efficiency by increasing the volume of the confinement space, which is why we're now building very big tokamaks. There is another problem where whenever you fuse one proton and one electron, you get a neutron, which being neutrally charged is no longer steerable by the magnets and so it just flies off, removing fuel and energy from the reaction space, as well as becoming a source of damaging radiation. Part of the economics of fusion reactors is the lifetime of the reactors themselves. Since the reactors will be big, expensive, and technically intricate, and they will have to contain million-degree fusion reactions, as well as high-energy neutron radiation. So even if we do gain a modest net production of energy, if we have to keep shutting the reactors down for ongoing maintenance, we may still not realise an overall benefit versus cost. So it is all pretty tricky finding the right balance. But we do really think we're getting closer to a working solution if the year 2050 sounds closer. Right now, of course, there are compelling reasons why we should be building lots of nuclear fission reactors to reduce our dependence on carbon fuels. But those fission reactors are big and expensive and not at all popular. And it may be the same story for the first generation of fusion reactors, which will be very big and very expensive, and it's unlikely that anyone is going to want one in their own backyard. As always, it's not just about the technology, it's also about people. This is the end bit. So, there you go. Alternate universes might be possible, though there's absolutely zero proof of their existence to date. 
and fusion-based energy production might be possible as well. Indeed, we've done it, but so far without a net energy gain. And if it came down to a choice between whether there's alternate universes or whether we can have fusion energy, you'd probably put your money on the latter, but whether you'd see your money again is certainly not guaranteed. But that's it for another episode of Dear Cheap Astronomy. If you've got a space science question, or you just want to rage at all the uncertainty and unknowability of the universe, why not write to cheapastro at gmail.com and let us do the raging for you. Thanks for listening. Steve Nerlick, Cheap Astronomy.